sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. We're here at the midweek. It is Fantasy Sports Today. We're on the air. Craig Miss, Joe Pizapia for the next two hours with you talking baseball, football, basketball, everything going on in sports. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizapia17. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish and, of course, at SportsGrid. And also all of our shows are posted on YouTube and at SportsGrid.com. Good morning, Joe. Ready to get into some heavy baseball discussion and some fantasy discussion as well. What's happening? I am, man. This is a jam-packed program. I'm really excited about it. And... With great power comes great responsibility because, as you can tell in this program, the last few days, we say something or talk about a player or talk about a situation. The next day, boom, there's action it on happened, it. Right? And it happened again yesterday, Craig Mish. It's very exciting stuff. We really have our finger on the pulse of all things sports here at Sports Grid. We do. And we start off today with arguably one of the most polarizing players in baseball uh, finding a home. So, naturally, it's time to massively overreact to Yasiel Puig. <laughs> Signing with the Atlanta Braves, as first reported by MLB.com. Last year, Puig with a 327 OBP, 24 home runs, 19 steals. He played with the Reds. He played with the Indians. And the Atlanta Braves, simply put at this point, are running a little bit thin. They've had Freddie Freeman opt out. They've had Nick uh, or Freddie Freeman out with COVID. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back. He may not be. Who knows? Nick Markakis opted out of the season. And their top prospect, Christian Pache, who we thought we could see at some point this season, did suffer an injury in one of their practices, and he could be out for some period of time. So, Joe, the Braves end up pulling the trigger here, and they get Yasil Puig. He'll either play the outfield or will play DH. It will be an amazing scene to have Puig and Ozuna in their outfield because who knows what will happen at that point. But the Braves are in a position, Joe, where uh, they have to win now. Their window is now. They've got you know, Albies under contract. They've got Acuna under contract. They're adding pitchers. They're adding relievers. We saw that in the offseason. So it certainly does make sense. I would just caution people that this is not the same Puig from 2015, and he is filler. I, I don't believe he'll be back with them next year. He's always thought more of himself than he really is. And uh, could he hit eight home runs and steal eight bases? Sure. But the dude has not been in any game, any practice with any team for the last five months. I would be very surprised if this guy is a star in baseball this year. Well, look, just for perspective here, you know, all the fantasy nerddom aside, the OPS last year for Yasiel Puig was 785. It's not a great number. That no. is not a great look number. At his war, too. Well, yeah, but you know what? The war, that takes defense into account, too. And this is a fantasy show. So I just want to drive this home because you make a really important statement here, which is, is not the Puig from five years ago. And more importantly, even last year's Puig is 785. 785 is the OPS. There's not a better number to describe where he's at. Does he still have some pop and some speed? Sure. And you mentioned Ozuna. That guy's going right to the DH now. I think we can all understand the Atlanta Braves defensive outfield is not going to have Ozuna in it right now. He is going to be a DH. But I think the ripple effects here are uh, quite a few. First one is I think it tells you a lot about Freddie Freeman and where he might potentially be at, whether it be for the season or when he might come back, if at all. I think that's something you really have to figure out right now in your fantasy leagues where you own Freddie Freeman. You have to really take stock of things figure out what kind of move you want to make, whether it be on the waiver wire or via trade, to at least get some insurance there. Because I think whenever you see a team make a big move like this, it's something to take into account. I also think that if you are starting to train negatively about Freddie Freeman, you have to look at that those MVP odds that he's got on FanDuel too. I wouldn't go anywhere near them right now for Freddie oh, Freeman. Yeah. And I think it also hurts Ronald Acuna's case as well. You know, it's very important to have Freddie Freeman in that lineup. And the longer he's not, and we're treading out guys like Yasiel Puig instead, it's a huge drop-off. Again, 785 from a guy who was like a 900-something OPS. Yeah, he okay? was a great a player three or four years. He was an elite fantasy and reality <laughs> player. I, you know what? It's funny you call him elite. Do you ever feel like he was? I feel like he was very good, but he never was good He had an unbelievable run. He had an unbelievable run. For two I years. don't know, man. I, I always felt he was a little on the overrated side, personally. Fun to watch. I, I'm sure colorful. he is a little overrated, but uh, look, he's a likable guy. He's a very charitable guy, too. Um, I, I, I don't know how this will all work out, but I'm happy that the Braves were able to get something to fill in some of these voids because 
even though Marcakis is not a high-level player at this stage, he is a reliable bat. They had Joyce last year. He's gone too. Freeman mm-hmm. gone too for the time being. And listen, don't underestimate. Look, they have Christian Pache and Drew Waters, and both of them could play the outfield for the Braves this year. Adam Duvall is there too. But I mean, all these names I'm giving you are guys for now, not guys for three years from now, with the exception of those rookies. So it does make sense that they made the move, and yeah. I'm guessing Puig took a massive uh, pay cut. I mean, this guy made a huge mistake not taking the money from a couple of different teams. He could sure. have had it, and and he didn't get it. He could have got paid during the pandemic. He didn't get that either. So, uh, you know, he, he has got to. I'll tell you what, there are going to be some players eventually that we'll talk about having to have great, 60 games, this guy has to have it or his career is over. No, you're right. And look, and maybe a motivated Puig is exactly the kind of risk you take. So we'll see what happens there. And it's taken him all the way up until basically a week before the season to sign, which is a very long time considering when the season's starting. Uh, You mentioned Pache. I got to tell you, I've watched him play a lot. I don't see what other people are talking about here. I, I think he's a better real he baseball be player. Great, than a but he was player. a body that they could use. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just, you know, just trying to touch on what they do have long term. Also, and, and Drew Waters, Waters is going to be great. Waters, I think, is going to be better than Pache. So if you're trying to understand like them Waters. in terms of dynasty right now, when you're making moves, that's the way I would look. By the way, just for fun, Yasiel Puig has never hit 30 home runs in a season. He's also never stolen 20 bases. Fun fact. Yeah, yeah. So for all, all right. these elite discussions i don't see any elite stat. I, I think in the past he was for a couple of years but uh, there's a lot of other things that were happening yesterday so let's get right to them the red sox named brandon workman their closer this is, should not come as a surprise he was fantastic for them once he took that job last year the red sox were going through a bunch of guys so Evaldi was going to be the closer right. brazier or barnes and then workman ended up being the guy uh tyler glass now who we talked about a few days ago uh potentially missing time comes back immediately out of the shoot throws 49 pitches great sign for him if you're if you have him in any fantasy league you're feeling really good because i know that you felt good having him in the first place and now he's healthy and it looks like he's lined up to start their second game of the season uh aaron nola could start opening day for the philadelphia phillies says joe girardi that is a definite shot in the arm i would caution that a little bit and also wonder how many pitches he would even throw on opening day phillies could start him game three instead of game one we're just going to have to keep an eye on that uh, another issue for Willie Calhoun, unfortunately. This time it's a flexor issue. Can't control getting hit in the face, but Calhoun has had some different issues in the past, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see what happens with him over the next week because the Rangers are pretty light in the bat. They need him yeah. to play for sure. And then two players, I want to do my due diligence and do a respectable job covering this from a COVID point of view because here we are saying guys aren't there. It is in my best interest to make sure that I follow up and tell you who does come back after we talk about guys not being there. It would be irresponsible if we didn't just by saying they're not there and then never mentioning them. I don't like that. Uh, But Malik Smith, a guy that we mentioned was out. He is back with the Mariners. And and also Cole Calhoun returns uh, for the Diamondbacks as well. And we're going to dive into, unfortunately for the Diamondbacks, Calhoun is in and they have another player out. We'll hit on that as well. Uh, so from this, Joe, and also, by the way, Anthony Rizzo missed another practice. Uh, judge still questionable for next week. It, it's a lot to get to here on the show. We're trying I'm to, exhausted. This trying is to the get, opener? Trying to get to it all. Um, <laughs> I, I guess my biggest takeaway from this is Glass now. I think yes. that's that's the one that I think is on the verge of greatness. If the Rays are going to win a pennant or a World Series, I could see this guy hoisting the trophy. He's a very important piece and, and and I know that there are so many people in the fantasy community who loved this guy and invested a lot in this guy. Mm-hmm. And as of 48 hours ago, we were wondering if he was even going to be able to pitch at the beginning of the season. It's a fantastic sign for a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch in person for anyone right. that he's throwing 50 immediately because yeah. 50 becomes 65 and then 65 becomes 80. You're talking about throwing at least five innings for his first start in a week or two. So that's that's a very positive sign for me. Well, look, it was about as good as it gets last year for him. Over 12 starts with a 1.72 ERA. Uh, he was striking out 76 guys, walking just 14. You know, the, the trick with Glasgow was in his Pittsburgh days, you know, he was walking the ballpark. You know, this is a guy with an electric arm, but not a lot of control. He's finally kind of honed that here since he's come over to Tampa. And I got to say, of all the dudes out there, when we talk about guys whose ADP should be rising based on the fact of a 60-game season because of the risk-reward factor, this is a guy that's right up there. He's right around pitcher number 20, and I would continue to move him up board slightly 
because I feel like when you take some of that risk out of having to make 30 something stars to be a good investment, and now you need them to make 10 stars to be a good investment. It's a totally different universe. And I think the Rays, I've said it here on this show, I've said it here on Diamond Bets on the network as well. I think the Rays are built for this season for so many reasons. Glass now in this rotation with Blake Snell, in this rotation with Charlie Morton. You've got McKay there too. You've got the ability to do openers. You've got this bullpen now that has no restrictions on it because of a short season. I'll tell you, man, I think Cash has got his uh, a game plan here. And I think this is going to be a huge season for the Rays. And Glass now being healthy and back in that rotation, this is one of these guys I think you move up your board if you're redrafting this weekend. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think that this could be the next great pitcher in baseball. I'd like to see McKay, too, get back to camp. I know that he hasn't been there also. That'd be another interesting name. Uh, also, just closing out uh, some of the discussion from late yesterday, Michael Soroka will start opening day for the Braves. That's a, that's a, that's sort of uh, something new. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Joe, we, we talked about Byron Buxton getting hurt a couple of days ago. It yep. looks like he's okay, but it, it's one of those things where because of the way that he plays – I think we're always going to have these sort of issues that um, because of how hard he plays, he's going to keep getting hurt. It's uh, unfulfilled for sure with him. I, I don't know that I could ever characterize him as being a superstar in this league. He's had superstar talent that has not been uh, on the field as a superstar. But I'm, I'm hopeful that if the Twins have a good run, that he's a big part of it. But I think now we'll have to just keep an eye on him the next few days to see if he's ready to play. Yeah, I don't think we can uh, look and project forward anymore to Byron Buxton being a superstar. And, and you know, in all fairness, this was a kid that had a lot of tools, missed a lot of time in development because of the injuries, and I think was more of a great athlete than a great baseball player. And that's what I saw personally as I was, you know, well, doing the, the writing over the years. defensive center fielder out there, period. Right. And you know what? That's that's awesome. And uh, for fantasy, what I write, no, you know, fantasy, that doesn't get same. you anywhere. Right, exactly. I don't, you can have your Kevin Kiermeyers and your Buxtons. That's awesome. Uh, I love real baseball, too, but I don't want to write him off that his career is done either. No, that he can't no. find a way to become a good major leaguer and maybe a good fantasy player at some point. Maybe he can become something useful to fantasy leagues. But I think you if you haven't already come to that decision that he is not going to be a superstar, then I, you weren't paying attention the last two years. And Senzel is quickly approaching him. He's right behind him. He's getting real frustrating, too. All right, a little bit later in the show, we are going to bring in Howard Bender from Fantasy Alarm. We'll talk about what's moving the needle for him. Also, as promised, uh, some of my uh, graded baseball cards that I got back of the uh, high-end variety we're going to touch on as well. Joe also dives into his fan one of his fantasy teams from five months ago. We're going to see how it looks <laughs> now. That should be a, a fun conversation to have. So we're just getting started here today on this edition of Fantasy Sports Today. As always, coming up next, we touch on this day in fantasy sports history and our birthdays wishes to everyone in sports. And we'll have that next as Joe PZP and Craig Mish here on sports grid. Stay with us. We're back right after this. Sportsgrid.com. betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 seven as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering, real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more want the edge. Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And welcome back, Craig and Joe with you here on July 15th. It's time for this day in fantasy sports history and, of course, our birthdays for the 15th of July. An eclectic group of birthdays for sure in the NBA, in the NFL, and in baseball, and in wrestling and politics. You may wonder how that will happen, but it actually did. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, Joe, we're going to tackle some uh, this day in fantasy sports history, which includes, of course, uh, some catching news, a lot of a lot of catching news actually from the past here today. Two of our four subjects are catching related. Well, I got nothing but respect for the catcher position. I know I played a lot of it in my youth. I'm not sure where you played, Craig Mish. Uh, Definitely but, not uh, catcher. Not catcher, not a catcher. Oh. I like the gear, man. I mean, there's something about the mask kind of attached to your face with sweat in the middle of July. I don't know. I liked it. I like being in control of the game and calling the pitches and all that stuff. And catcher's cool. You kind of feel like a warrior. You're wearing all the gear. You got the helmet. You know, you can always go look over the dugout when that guy's got nothing anymore. You can kind of like make the face of the, you know, at the manager. Hey, guys, you know, come on, nothing there here. But uh, yes, catchers don't get enough love uh, except for two catcher leagues, which I want to just kill over and over again. Can we just be done with the two catcher league? Of in course fantasy? we can. For anybody that, that, that knows that it's stupidity, but... 
yet it's the industry standard still in a lot of industry standard leagues, and I feel like the industry is not really listening, and my air quotes are out of control. Yeah, pretty much. So. Yeah, okay. All right, so let's get started this day in fantasy sports history for the 15th of July. We start off not that long ago for me. For Joe, <laughs> for Joe a lot longer. He's an old guy. Uh, Johnny Bench hits home run number 314. He passes Yogi Berra all time for uh, catcher home runs. And certainly uh, Mike Piazza has something to say about this later on. But I still think, Joe, that when you think of all-time catchers, I think Johnny Bench still goes to one. I'm pretty sure he's – I don't know. I mean, look, Piazza's the best hitting catcher of all time. I don't think that that's even a question. But I still feel like if I said – Best catcher of all time, your answer is? Johnny Bench. Yeah, I think Easy. So. It's easy. I mean, look, no no knock on Mike. He was a really good offensive catcher, and he was really good at blocking the plate and calling the game. So, you know, he gets, a lo- he gets knocked a lot for his, quote, defense, but I think people forget there's more to the defensive side of playing catcher than necessarily just throwing guys out, which is where he was a shortcoming. Like, there's no doubt about that. We all know throwing guys out. He was no Pudge Rodriguez or Benito Santiago when all things were said and done, but Called a very good game, blocked the plate very well, pitches in the dirt very well, and was one of the best guys, you know, taking those collisions and things where you could still take those. He was a tough SOB when it came down to that. But Johnny Bench revolutionized the game, too. He was a guy that kind of switched over to that one single hinged glove, too, which people don't realize that before Johnny Bench, you had those old-style catcher mitts that were big and round, and you caught with two hands. He wanted to have that other hand behind him to make sure that he was able to hide that so he avoided injury. And the only time he had the hand behind was when he was starting to throw a guy out at second base. So Johnny Bench is not only the most important catcher, probably, in terms of transitioning not just the defensive side, but also the offensive side, too. I mean, they're baby Bill Dickey besides that and in the old, old days. But when I think about offensive catchers, when I think about defensive catchers, when I think about best catcher, it's Johnny Bench and everybody else. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think it's got to be that way. But certainly, um, you know, people could make the case that it's Piazza. And, and it would be hard to argue just because his offensive numbers were so great. There's no doubt. Um, all right. So uh, moving on to some of the other things that happened in this day in history. Let's fast forward to 2017, only a couple of years ago. Cody Bellinger becomes the first Dodger rookie to hit for the cycle. He would go on to win the MVP of the National League. Uh, 2018, France defeats Croatia to win the World Cup. That was a couple of years ago. And then last year, something happened that I had no idea was a thing, but it is. Travis Darno was the first player in baseball history to hit three home runs in one game and did it while leading off. First of all, didn't even realize that Darno hit three home runs in a game last year. I knew he had a good year. And I uh, knew he let off, I guess, occasionally, but didn't realize mm-hmm. that if you combine the two, it was a, a historical fact. But indeed it is. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. I would have thought Ricky Henderson, uh, somebody like that, you know, a leadoff hitter that had a lot of pop, pop somebody would have done this besides Travis Darno. Well, well the, po- the point is that he's a catcher. He's the first catcher. Oh, he's the first catcher there. I thought he was the first leadoff guy to hit three home runs in the game. Oh, he's okay. the first uh, player in history to hit three home runs in one game leading off as a catcher. I should have quantified that. Oh, okay. I thought it was just leading off there. That's what I was reading off of here. But as a catcher, yes. Well, that's that's certainly the case because you don't get a lot of catchers leading off. And Travis Darno. I mean, it's a very frustrating career for him, I'm sure. I know fantasy owners very frustrated with the many, many years of waiting for him to play enough games to qualify in order to be something on a fantasy team. And it's tough because we're always looking for offensive productivity from the catcher position. And Travis Darno is a guy that hit for average, a guy in the minor leagues that showed some pop. He was a can't miss. This guy's going to be an all-star catcher. And this is one of those things where, you know, I continue to say it. I know everybody's super excited about Joey Barton. They should be. I remember everybody being super excited about Darno, and I remember everybody being super excited about Matt Wieters, and I remember all these guys in this pantheon of catchers in fantasy baseball where we get so excited, but there's so many variables because, number one, the injury quotient's high at the position, a lot of contact, a lot of things can happen, a lot of dings and dangs and things like that that happen to you, and on top of it, you always have to worry about these guys managing the pitching staff. Right? And there's so much that goes into that. And you can see the offense kind of lag behind sometimes. So even though they're great minor league offensive players, it doesn't always transfer. I mean, even look at last year, Danny Jansen, right? Everybody was excited for Danny Jansen and the Blue Jays. It did not work out. I hope it works out this year and we should be patient and maybe we should be buying back in post-hype. But Craig, I mean, at a certain point, I mean, the yeah, pitchers are, are certainly risky, but isn't catcher pretty much right behind it in terms of risk 
uh, when you're talking about long-term dynasty keeper scenarios? Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that anybody has the value in catcher like they used to. There's only a couple of guys right now that are there. But honestly, after you said dings and dangs, I didn't hear a word you said. Dings and dangs. We got the dings dangs? and the dangs. Dangs. Where's uh, that? I don't know. You know what? You I literally say just make that up. Uh, I, I, I was going to say dings and dents and things like that, and then yeah, it came out dangs. I've I'm never glad you called me out on it. I'm wondering if, if that's a new creation for you. This is why we're friends. I'm glad you called me out on it because I, I said something stupid. And if you watch the show carefully, it won't be the last dings thing I say that's stupid. No, listen, I mean, look, I make a lot of mistakes too. I'm not saying that this was even a mistake. I'm just wondering. Oh, no, it's a ever, mistake. Have you ever used this terminology on a radio? No, or but you know what, man? I think we're going to keep it. We're going to have dings, dings and I think and it's a segment now, dings and Yeah. Dings. Dings and dangs. It's the home runs and the most amazing things of the day. The dings and dangs. That was really good. You know, a guy who hits two home runs in a game and a guy who steals three bases or a guy who strikes out seven guys in seven innings. Dings and dangs on Fantasy Sports Today. I could smell thing. it. Starting next week. <laughs> okay, let's move to this day in Fantasy Sports birthdays for the 15th of July. Uh, let's start 1952. We got John Stallworth, great wide receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers and, of course, multi-Super Bowl uh, champion. 1951, Jesse the Body Ventura, great WWF wrestler for many years and then the governor of Minnesota. And then, I don't know what, I have not heard from Jesse Ventura in a long, Probably long for the best. It's probably for the best. I don't know how much you want to hear. Although, he does have one of the great lines of all time in The Predator, I ain't got time to bleed. That is a great line. They don't have lines like that in action. He was movies. one of my favorites, man. I like Jesse the Bond. Well, he was a good. He was a great commentator, Jesse. Uh, a lot of people. That's don't right. Realize. That's what he was primary doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the WWF at the time, yes. But before that, he was a big time wrestler in the AWA, which is where Hogan was and Andre right. and a lot of those guys. Basically, what happened was when the territory system for professional wrestling kind of broke down. What happened was Vince McMahon. Junior, who we know is Vince McMahon here, he kind of inherited the company from his dad, and he started basically buying up territories and basically overpaying for their top talent. And when you don't have that top draw all of a sudden, and they all go up in the Northeast Territory to work for Vince McMahon, all of a sudden you can't draw, all of a sudden those places close up, and then you move your shows in. And that's what he did, and the AWA was one of those big ones. Roddy Piper, a couple of big guys like there, Hogan, another guy too, they wouldn't put the belt on for a long period of time in the AWA. Next thing you know, they are basically trying to, you know, save face. And was, Jesse was Ventura. Was AWA the Florida wrestling? Is that what it was? No, that was up in Minnesota, the Gagnés, uh, Vern Gagné. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, and his son. Uh, and, you know, the, the Gagnés still hung on there. They made a deal with ESPN a few years later. You might remember in our youth, uh, AWA wrestling was on ESPN once upon a time. And they unfortunately, they just could not figure it out. But fun story. At the very end of AWA, they hired a guy to be an announcer who then ended up working for WCW and then ended up running the company at one point named Eric Bischoff. And basically his chip on his shoulder was when they closed AWA because of Vince McMahon, he was so pissed that he lost his job and then he auditioned for them and they basically said, nah, screw kid, we don't like you. You're from AWA and he never forgot that. Went to work for WCW a couple years later, stole all Vince McMahon's guys. Next thing you know... You have the Monday Night Wars, and they're beating WWE in the ratings for two years. So it's a crazy story, some great stuff. There's a great documentary, actually, about the AWA on the WWE Network if you're a huge wrestling nerd like me. And Craig can't wait for me to stop talking about wrestling right now. Listen, we needed a wrestling history lesson today. We just got it from Joe Pizzapia. There you go. Uh, 1982, Sung Juan Oh, the final boss, the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals for a couple of years and then went to the Rockies and then I believe is uh, done here playing in the States. Had a nice little cup of coffee. Helped me in fantasy one year. That's that's for sure. Uh, Tobias Harris in the NBA. I would try to associate him with one team. That'd be impossible. He's played on a million, and he's been in the NBA for over a decade, and he continues to play. I feel like he's been in the NBA for 20 years on 10 teams, and if I look it up, I bet I'm right. And uh, and finally, 1990, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, really uh, one of the most underrated players in the NBA, one of the biggest shot guys in uh, in the NBA as well. And I'd love to see him uh, get into a deep postseason run because he is giving the league a lot of excitement. And last two minutes of a game, certainly you can make the case for putting the ball in the hands of LeBron uh, or Steph Curry when he's healthy or, or maybe James Harden. But uh, Lillard could be at the top of that. I mean, this guy is he's just he's, he's great in the final minute of a game. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. You know, you're right. This was a very eclectic list. 
I'm curious, who was your favorite celebrity governor? Was it Jesse Ventura, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Do you have another one? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, no, probably. I, I, I like Jesse the body. I was always a fan of, of him as a wrestler and as an announcer. He was yeah. a great with, heel with announcer. With him and Gorilla Monsoon, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, him and Gorilla Monsoon quite a bit. And uh, I had his figure. Camera. I had Jesse the body's figure. Yeah, man. Like, you know, the great personalities. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how some of the guys have gone on to have all these varied, interesting careers. Uh, one wrestler, Kane, is actually now the mayor of a small town somewhere. And some of them go into politics and others, obviously, just hang on into their 60s, still trying to wrestle in independent spots. So it's it's a weird business. You know, you got some guys who are who are really diversified and interesting and, and go in to become movie stars like John Cena and The Rock and other guys who are you know, hanging on, still doing indie shows wherever they can. It's a, it's certainly one of the more bizarre businesses to be in. That's for sure. It's interesting because uh, later on, we're finally going to go through some of the trading cards that I got. Finally. Right. And, and ironically speaking, and I've sent in a bunch now over the last month or two, the craziest coincidence with all this, I sent in one wrestling card. And it was Jesse, the body Ventura. Yeah. It was the only one. I mean, probably because the condition looked better than the rest. (laughs) <laughs> but still, I was the one that I sent in, interestingly enough. We'll see what, what happens uh, when I get that grade back. Okay, coming up next, we got fantasy baseball news and notes. We'll dive into some lesser-known targets in fantasy after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. And welcome back. If you are just joining us here on the show, as we kick in a little fantasy baseball discussion, you could go back and watch the first 15 minutes of our program on demand over on our YouTube channel, SportsGrid, and also on our website, SportsGrid.com. We have all of that video posted for you, including what the signing of Yasiel Puig potentially means to the Atlanta Braves, some of the reasoning behind that. We touched on that just a little time ago, and we will again a little bit later in the show. Uh, But for today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into some lesser-known targets potentially in fantasy and give you some ramifications and just news and notes from around the league and maybe some late-round sleepers if you'd like to dive in on them. That's what we'll do. We're going to hit on the Marlins and the Diamondbacks today. We'll start off with the Miami Marlins. Don Mattingly a couple days ago saying that due to Matt Joyce being out, and he didn't refer to him directly because, of course, you can't can't refer to anybody directly that has virus or anything like that uh also let's also consider lewis brinson although i think that we can agree is not a fantasy relevant player still is a rostered player that also has been out miami may pivot and choose to start the clock on two of their top offensive prospects and these are the two that mattingly did mention a couple of days ago i was surprised by this uh Lewin diaz who hit 27 home runs last year between high a and double a he was involved in the trade that sent sergio romo to minnesota was the first name that Mattingly mentioned. He's a big first baseman that could potentially be a left-handed bat off the bench. Maybe he plays first base. They shift some things around. Maybe he plays DH. I'm not sure, but that was a name to watch. Also, Jesus Sanchez, another high-end prospect acquired by Miami from Tampa Bay in the trade that sent Nick Anderson over to them. Uh, Sanchez in AA and AAA last year hit 13 home runs. His OBP was 325. Sanchez is Sort of a tall, lanky outfielder, Gregory Polanco-looking uh, type outfielder who had some injuries last year and didn't get a full uh, share of minor league ball, but certainly the Rays had a lot of high hopes for him. He was a top-three prospect for him the last couple of years. And what it, what it kind of leads into, Joe, is, is, look, there's a chance that one of these two players are relevant, and the other part of this from Miami's, from Miami's point of view, too, is that even if Diaz and Sanchez don't get a lot of playing time initially, if Miami is what most people think they are, they're going to trade Jonathan VR at the deadline, and then one of these two right. guys can play every day. Uh, but, but I think it also speaks to the fact that a lot of clubs, you're hearing the same thing, Joe, and it may not be 30, but 15, 20 clubs feel like, hey, we're in a pennant race on August 1st. We got to go for it. 
And Miami would certainly be sending a signal here if if they would have not one in Monte Harrison, which we would agree is going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe two of their top 10 offensive prospects starting the season in the big leagues. That would signal to me that they're trying to. So something just to keep an eye on over the next week. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think this year's trade deadline is actually more like this year's call-ups. That's what it's about. It's about the teams that are willing to start the clock on players. And it's about the teams that have these players and a position in the standings where they think legitimately they have a shot here not only to make the playoffs, but make a run. And we talk about the Padres being some of those teams. We talk about the Rays potentially with Wander Franco. And look, I'm not saying that crazier things haven't happened in baseball, right, where you can get the Marlins to make a run here despite how good the East is right now, which I think is it's unlikely. But what you're talking about is can they flip these guys? And, yeah, there will be a small amount of players, maybe VR is one of them, who will be very appealing to some other teams out there at the deadline. I don't think the deadline is going to be really hot like it usually is. It can't be. It can't be. It can't be. Right. But so what you have is bringing people up. Now, looking at uh, the first player, actually the second player here you had on the list is Jesus Sanchez. There's some things that are concerning to me when I look at the minor league profile because I always like to look at double-A numbers. That, to me, is always the first thing. Now, last year at double-A in the Tampa organization, you know, he hit just 214. I know it was a small sample size, but then you go up to double-A numbers uh, for the Tampa franchise last year where he did drive that up to 275. But still, the slugging was only a 404. So this is a, a guy that I think at 21 years old, obviously, you you want to project. You want to look at the body type. You said he's like a tall, lanky kind of kid. And maybe he does fill out. Maybe power does come. But overall, you look at him then struggling as he gets moved up from AA to AAA, not just with the Rays, but also with Miami once he got moved. And, you know, he's really not uh, tearing the cover off the ball here. He's hitting 205. He's hitting 246 on the back end of it. These are really a guy that looks like he's having trouble making contact. Now, when I say that, does that maybe make you lean towards Diaz over Sanchez when you talk about these two guys? Because it seems like there's a lot of holes in this guy's game right now. that I don't think he's ready for prime time. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all fair points. The only thing that would point to Sanchez potentially uh, playing maybe more than Diaz, and by the way, I do like Diaz more overall, I agree with that, is that what is the need for Miami? Is it an outfielder? Is it a DH? Is it a first baseman? Um, and if they don't have Joyce for the season, Joe, then they don't have right. a left-handed bat that could play the outfield. Uh, you know, Diaz could play first. He could play designated hitter. They could choose to move some things around. But let's also not forget, uh, regardless of what anybody thinks, and I'm one of them that's a little skeptical, they did sign Aguilar to play. So I do believe that at the very least for 30 days, you're going to see him playing first base or DH every single day. Uh, I don't really have the answers here, I, but I do think that Diaz is going to be a star when he gets the opportunity. I'm not sure if it will come in August or September, but it will come and and he will be good. Sanchez, I think, has a chance to be a starting outfielder in the big leagues. But again, he he could use some minor league time. There is no minor league time to have. Well, yeah, I mean, he's stalled out at double A here. And in that second level of when he finally made it to double A here in 2019, you see when he gets moved from Minnesota over to Miami. And look, I know sometimes when a kid gets traded, there's a lot, you know, mentally, it's a lot to take in as a prospect. Maybe you feel like, you know, loss of confidence or something like that. But there's another guy all of a sudden, you know, he goes from one spot where he's sitting 290 and then he's sitting 200 the rest of the year. Uh, I know it's from 57 games to 31 games, but still, I mean, that's a big drop off. And this guy hasn't even hit AAA pitching yet. So I don't know, man. Like, I think they might be forced in terms of their hand that one of these guys has to play or maybe both play and you figure out which one can is more ready. But this might also be in a scenario where there's some other guy who gets jettisoned maybe for another team and maybe the Marlins take a look at him because I don't know if these guys are ready for big league pitching from what I'm looking. I would say no, not quite yet. Yeah, well, I would ignore this that on Diaz. He's going to be a star. You'll just have to take my word for it on that guy. Sure. Uh, but, but as far as Sanchez is concerned, he, he could need some more time, but maybe it's worth it for them to have him as a fourth outfielder and but, start a clock because they don't have as high hopes as they do for maybe somebody else, like J.J. Blade. But how many guys, and then I think Blade actually is going to be a good player, but how many guys jump from double-A to the big leagues, too? You're asking a lot. I mean, well, the last there's guy no I remember, choice now, man. Like, no, I, mean, I know, but the last the guy choice? I remember... Who was the last guy besides Evan Longoria that did it well? Like, that's the last dude. Juan Soto did it from single A? Soto. Okay, yeah. So Soto, Longoria, and that's within, what, like 15 I'm sure that there's others if I It's tough. Double A is a tough one. They just go right to the major leagues. You don't see it very often, I'm just saying. Okay, uh, over to Arizona, uh, Christian Walker for the Diamondbacks, who had a really good year, surprising year for them last year, kind of came out of nowhere. We were you know, kind of waiting for him to fall off, fall off, fall off. But in the end, his war, he had a three war for a first-year player. 
and 29 home runs, good defensively at first base, unfortunately has a groin issue, and that could keep him out for an extended period of time. Uh, everybody knows who C.J. Crone is. His brother is Kevin Crone, who got a little cup of coffee last year. He played 39 games. He had six home runs, 16 runs driven in. Also struggled a little bit. The plate struck out a lot, and the batting average wasn't very good. Neither was the OBP. But with Walker out, and we hit on the Diamondbacks, Joe, uh, you know, yesterday, and we talked about Cole Calhoun not being there. He's back, as, as we talked about earlier in the show. So outfield is okay for them. But now all of a sudden, first base is a little bit of an issue. Uh, Diamondbacks could put Jake Lamb there. You don't see him in this graphic here, but he could be. I mean, that's that's an easy answer there. But I'm hesitant to throw him in there. I, I kind of feel like you're a team that's going for it. you got to bring every young kid up and play him. And Crone and still has rookie eligibility here for them. Yeah, and look, you go look at Crone's minor league track record over six seasons. Uh, the slash line's not that bad. I mean, 280 with a 348 OBP and a 529 slugging. So that's a player who's had some success in the minor leagues. And it's funny because, in a way, he reminds me of Christian Walker, who Christian Walker was a guy who was basically blocked up there. Uh, this was a guy that also Christian Walker struggled every level of the minor leagues before he overcame it. And some players don't have that. Some players get to double A, hit well, move to triple A, hit well, move to the big leagues. Not Christian Walker. He was a guy that needed some time at each level to kind of get up to that level. And then he always did. And the same thing was true when he tried to crack in the major league roster. But Baltimore was a little log jam, that whole first base thing. They had Trey Mancini there. They had Chris Davis there. So there was really no room for him. And it's funny because it kind of reminds you of Crone here. Crone's sort of profiles to me is a very similar type player, Christian Walker, that I think if you left him alone in the big leagues and gave him a, you know, a couple hundred at-bats, that he would be a serviceable guy. But I think if they need to go to him for a short period of time, there's a chance that he could be useful. There's also a chance that a guy like this can get red hot for, you know, a couple of days and become a huge DFS value. You could go over to FanDuel and find a guy like this, probably min salary. He's probably somewhere around like 2,200 or 2,100. But if he's getting to start that night in a favorable lefty-righty matchup, this is the kind of guy that you can really use to pay up a pitcher. And I think in that one pitcher site like FanDuel, when you're looking to do that, these are the kind of guys you have to look at. A great example last year was Anthony Santander. Oh, my goodness. Did we use him a ton in all the DFS yeah, shows we hot. did? Right. Yeah. He was red hot for a short period of time there. And a lot of people didn't know much about him. Crone kind of fits in that same vibe, I feel like. So keep an eye on this one as it develops. And we'll see. Luckily, Calhoun came back very quickly. <laughs> you know, So we'll hope for the best for everybody. But I feel like it's, it's not all, especially in the 60-game season, Craig, it's not all about can these guys do it for two, three weeks. Can these guys do it for a couple nights? Because if so, they become daily fantasy relevant. Yeah, they do. And we'll be covering it for you here on Fantasy Sports Today. We are uh, just about a week away from the baseball season opening up. Can't wait for that. We'll uh, have it all covered for you for sure. Uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, uh, Howard Bender is going to join us from Fantasy Alarm. And just because of the kind of content that we deliver here on this show, uh, Howard is basically running a fantasy website in fantasy alarm and so we're going to kick around a conversation as to what the people that are coming to his site want do they want baseball do they want football do they want basketball dfs and so we have a really i think candid conversation for somebody who was a provider of fantasy information and just you know where the uh the needle is is going up right now for that uh we'll also dive into some fantasy baseball conversation how he's attacking any of these redrafts and on top of that some football as well he was also like joe in the uh, Scott uh, Fish Bowl draft, and, and he discussed a couple of players on his team that he believes he's going to have on every single one of his fantasy football teams this year, a couple of players there as well. So uh, make sure you stick around for that. But coming up next, we've been teasing this now for a week. We're finally going to get it done on the show today. Finally, we, we for a couple of months here, folks, we didn't have a lot to talk about. That's just true. <laughs> so uh, I get dove me talked. In <laughs> we, we talked. We talked for hours, but we fooled you for two months. Sorry. Uh, one of the things we fooled you with was uh, sports cards have had this tremendous rise in value and growth during this pandemic because everybody is home. I dove back in by buying a few cards and some of the cards that I had sending in to get graded uh, by a couple different companies, one of which is PSA. And I got some of those back. I'm going to show you the best of what I got back and talk about how I decided and how much they are valued at when we come back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. I would encourage you to go back and watch some of our previous shows. We had a lot of fun with the rise of sports cards. We actually did a few segments. I believe it was back in June, maybe May. Maybe I don't know. Everything just blends together. But it was, <laughs> I think it was, it was 1978. I, think I mean, honestly, it was it was a shows. time where we had no sports on the horizon. It was like I mean, we now talked. we have a lot, but at the time we were just looking at anything to keep you guys entertained. And, and fortunately with, I mean, it kind of all started, I think, with the Last Dance documentary. I feel like that spurned yeah, a agree. lot of discussion on cards. And, you know, Joe and I had fun with it. He found a couple of cards that, we, that were 99 cents. Now they're $99. And so we went through that. I got motivated. I got myself a, a membership with a PSA, Professional Sports Authenticator. And I've been sending cards in to get graded. I've gotten back a couple of submissions in the four months that we've done this. I also have submissions out to another company. And uh, also I have several other submissions that I've sent out to uh, to PSA, but it's taking you know quite some time to get them back because unless you pay you know $50 a card to get it just authenticated, you're going to be waiting a while. And I'm not willing to do that. I'm not desperate. Uh, so uh, these were basically under like more or less a regular submission, Joe. Mm -hmm. And essentially the way that this works is there's a couple of different options. As a member, you can send in 50 or 100 cards and pay $10 a piece and wait five months. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can pay 20 bucks and get them back essentially in like a month or two. And I chose that. Yeah, I <laughs> so, think that's a good way. Yeah, I, I just, you know, for an extra 10 bucks, I'm going to, I want to want my cards back and not in somebody else's hands because I'm also going to send in cards that I think that have some value. Like, Joe, I'm not going to send in a, a pay for uh, $20 to get a grade on a card that's worth 30 You know, I mean, even, even though they do look nice in, in, the, in the slab, I... I think it's a big waste of time. So that, by the way, that's an ominous thing to say. They look good in the slab. Like, I don't know. That just, I don't know. They like, do look good in the slab. You know, when, when you die someday or I go kick it finally someday, they're going to put you us kind of in these plastic things. good in a slab. Look, 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 put us in the plastic case like this, like one action pose, like you're holding right. a microphone or a credential or something like that. And they'll have to send it and grade it and send it back to the family. I feel like that's, that's where we're yeah, headed with this. Yeah, I mean, Joe Pizzapia has slab. that Han Solo look about him. You know? I do. Yeah, let me out. <laughs> that frozen uh, look about him. In the, uh, the carbonite. But, but um, okay, so we'll, we'll do this over the course of a couple of days. And I personally am more of a baseball vintage guy. So in, in the orders that I got back, I probably, I would say, right now to show everyone, have about... I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 cards, something like that. But we're only going to do a few of them today. Today, we're going to look at the ones that graded 10 out mm. of 10. Um, and then what we'll do is one day we'll go back and we'll look at some of the older vintage cards. And you can kind of, uh, you know, th these are really easy to see. They're all in perfect condition. Right. And they were graded that way. The, the, the vintage ones, you can see there's like little issues with them, which you're not getting 10s on any of them. It's like 8s and 7s and 6s and 5s and 4s even. Uh, but it still doesn't change the fact that the vintage cards from some of the big names, especially in baseball and basketball, are are worth a significant amount of money. So uh, in total, there were five cards that I that I felt were uh, were worthy of showing you guys today. For time purposes, we're going to show four of those five today. The fifth one that you won't see here in the segment is Kobe Bryant. His uh, rookie is a I got a, a ten on a on a Kobe Bryant card, wow. but. It was, it was not his, his primary rookie card. It was a, uh, a card called Collector's Edge. And just to Who kind of give you... Who puts that out? Who puts Collector's Edge out? Uh, Is upper it deck. company? Uh, it was oh, Upper okay. Deck. Um, okay. Just the backstory with this, and then we'll move on. The backstory is, is, like I've tried to tell everyone, you never know what you could have in your collection. And it must have been 30 years ago or 20 years ago, I bought Laker, Lakers team sets for a dollar and they were in these little baggies and I, cr I just opened up the baggies and there was three uh, Kobe Bryant rookie in each one of them because it was a Lakers team set. Mm -hmm. One got a 10, one got a nine, one got an eight and the 10 um, I'm going to keep the nine. How much eight. is the 10 worth? Can you About tell us on here? Oh, nice. So let's, so, so, but for, this is I want to retirement plan, everyone, just so you know. This is my plan of no football. He's already in Florida. He's halfway there. If I can't bet on football this this year, I got to do this. This is this it. Is it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, if, if there's no football, I'm all in on this. This is what I will do. Um, 
So, so I wanted to do basketball and baseball for today, but I wanted okay. to focus a little bit on basketball to give you my thinking behind it. So let's get started. This is the first. Uh, this is the first of the cards. This is Tim Duncan's 1997-98 uh, Tops card. I bought probably five or six of these and sent in a couple. Joe, the, the idea is that if you send them all in at once, you're not going to get all tens because they're going to find something wrong with them. So the idea is either send one or send a good one and a bad one because you know the bad one's going to get bad, and then they'll look at the good one and say, wow, this is great, and then you'll get a 10 on that and then a lesser grade on the other. But this card, as you see right here, this did grade 10. It's a little bit I, slightly off-center, I think, left to right. I was surprised, actually. Um, you know, at that, it was a, that's like a, maybe like a 5% here. Sure, it's not like a, an optical illusion because of the border. Like, I imagine. No, it, it, is a, it is a little tiny bit off center. The white on from the left to right is, is a little off center, but it got a 10, and the card is worth about uh, $250, $300, something like that. Ooh. But I bought, the, I bought the card for uh, $8. Not bad. That's a pretty good ROI right there. But I, might I mention as well that. Uh, you could be a hand model like George Costanza. Really, oh, thank you. Really, that for thank those you. I people. Thought my, I thought my video skills were awful. I'll be better for the next one. The video skills are terrible. There's no doubt about that. But the hand be modeling skills. Yeah, the I, hand modeling. I did it. I did it in the sun. I mean, I, I'm, but Cardano's going to kill me when he sees this. Stuff. He's gonna, I mean, no, he's going to. He's going to. You know, I'm, he's I'm, gonna, I'm, in, I'm dead. But whatever, we're doing. No, no, no. Now he's going to do is he's going to make you wear like, uh, you know, like like mittens, like Costanza had to do all around just to protect the hands. As we continue to do this segment, right. now I've got a Shaquille O'Neal card here for you. It's actually an LSU, and it's in a yeah, slab. You, show, you showed this one already, Joe. I did, but I'm wondering now: is there something about the college card that is potentially worth something? Yeah, that you know, that, that, in a ten, that in a ten is worth a hundred dollars. Well, it's in a slab, and I, that's my new favorite expression. That's your new word. Today. It's in a slab. It's in a slab. I got my listen, dings, you, I got listen, my dangs, and I got my... Don't start pulling out your cards again. You had the chance to do the same thing that I did, and you could have showed your graded cards, too, but you didn't hey, do it. You had I don't Bo like Jackson, to show up. Hey, just because I have Jackson graded cards. All these cards. I showed you like, Jeter you had. You didn't uh, do it. I, I, all, just look, uh, maybe I don't have the need to whip out my cards in public all the time like you do. Or maybe that's <laughs> the, the same. That's the, the need. Yeah, it's like, hey, everybody, look at my grade 10 PSA. Well, maybe I've got you've a You've asked me to do this for two weeks. So I, I have, because I want to see what's in, I want to see what okay, you've got. Here's the, here, here's the next one. This all is right. this is Shaquille O'Neal's Tops rookie card, which has gone up significantly. This is a 10 uh, also as well. I ended up buying, I would say, on this particular card, probably about 20 of them. For I want to say I bought them for uh, about eight dollars a piece. Uh, I have a lot still out there. This is one that graded ten. I had another that graded ten, uh, and then I also got a nine on a third one. But this oh. right here is Shaq's ten. It is probably about a three hundred dollar card, maybe four hundred. And he has a gold card actually in this set too that's Ooh. worth uh, almost a thousand dollars. That's great, oh. but I don't have that one. But so basically, is, when you have cards that are graded 10 and some 9, like when you look at on the back end when you're doing your will, you know, as you get older and your inheritance, like the kids that you like less or the grandkids, like they get the uh, they get the 7s and the 8s. And that one grandkid that actually called you uh, on your birthday or actually wished you a happy Father's that, Day, that's, that's how that kid gets a 10. He gets the 10. The rest of the grandkids, they get a 7 or 8. I mean, Danny Olkers gets a 9. Brett Levy gets a 9. Ryan he, gets an 8. Pizza Pia gets a 5. I get like a Harold Reynolds third-year, you know, card. Not even or a Harold Ramirez. <laughs> yeah. Or Harold that's, that's Ramirez. You know what? You grade 10 in my book, Craig Mush. So, I don't know. You know, just saying. All right. So, that's the second card. And, and by the way, I'm, you know, transparent about this stuff, too. Um, you know, in, in order to pay for these submissions it gets pricey of course i'm going to sell some of these i mean it's just it's, well you got to to cover your expense i mean it's it, it's it's a it's a crazy amount of money when you're sending in and i don't do this at the well, 100 cards but if you're sending in 100 at 20 dollars a piece i mean come on i mean i just i'm not so who's off the island first like who are you completely like you're you're selling this card one of me. i'll sell one of the shacks for sure one of the shacks. i got okay. several so i would sell that but but any that that i only have one of i i would keep and if it's a 10 i would keep it yeah that's fair that's fair. All right, so this this third card here was is a really good looking card. Like, and and I paid actually twenty dollars for this card. Um, this is Tony Parker's rookie card on the Spurs. It's a Topps Chrome, two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, it graded ten. 
uh, I got two, I sent in two, one got a 10, one got a nine. And this is the idea, Joe, is like you send in, uh, well, I, by the way, I thought both cards were 10, but mm-hmm. essentially, like I said, you send in like a dummy card, you know, like, okay, let me send two and hope that one gets 10 because it's all worth it if it is. And yeah, this card is at least a $200 card graded in 10. The nine is probably like you, you paid 20 and you make 50, something like that off of it. Uh, this is not a card that I, I really love the way that it looks. It's not a card that I'm going to sell right now. <laughs> it's a good I looking tell, card. I will tell you that when he gets in the Hall of Fame, I think that at that point I may change my mind, but it's at least a card that I'm going to hold for my personal collection. Yeah, well, I think that's always the difficult thing with me. I mean, when we talked about those cards in the collections I had, the Bo Jackson one is it's personal to me. Like I loved that card growing up. I got to be on a baseball field and take BP with Bo Jackson ones. The Jeter one, I'm always a big Jeter fan, even though I'm not a Yankee fan. I always liked Jeter, and I had very fond memories of getting that card and going, oh, cool, Garrett Jeter rookie card. Like, I don't – that's the hard part to me is, like, sentimentality really does play into part here. You're you're more, you know, cold-hearted than I am. You're I more really nickels and dimes. I, don't, I could well, you're, you're very – not even money. Just – just just you're just very – just brass tacks of things. You know, you, gotta, you, you, you get a co-host. Think, I'm going to do it. You so get let, rid of them, let's finish you get off another co-host, you get rid of the, you know, you're just all about just churning it out, churning it out. Yeah, I mean, that's what you got to do. How many co-hosts you have this year ready? Like, I'm the fourth one exactly. already. <laughs> all right, last one, baseball card. This is uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. This mm. is the most recent card that I sent in in any of the submissions at the beginning because I really, I, I don't have a lot of 2019, 2020, 2018. Now I have some, but I, I don't have a lot. Um, my son got this card in a, uh, a box of uh, Topps Chrome that we bought, and it's pretty much, Joe, an automatic 10, as long as you just, like, take the card, put it in the sleeve, put it in the thing, and send right. it. Like, right. as long as you do that, it's it's almost an automatic 10. Uh, my This is my son's. He is going to keep it, and I was just excited for him. Now, is it, what is it worth? Uh, I don't know, 100 bucks, something like that. But, wow. But, for a guy uh, who's played not even half a season, barely. Oh, forget it. Like the, the I mean, baseball, I love Tatis. Ba- ba- the, Jason Dominguez hasn't played a single game. His card's worth more than Tatis. But. Yeah, you know what? I would sell both of them right now. <laughs> Take it I don't from blame me. you, but this is my son's. It's it's his. It's a nice-looking card also on the Chrome. See and... this card, Craig? I wanted this card in my childhood. I wanted this Daryl Strawberry rookie card. You know what happened? It went from like $150 to worth nothing. You know <laughs> Sell high. Sell high. I, I always say the same thing. So that's our episode in, in uh, PSA graded cards today. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Maybe Cardano will kick me off the show. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Howard Bender will join us next. Who does he like at running back in 2020? One guy. And he'll tell you who that is then. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.